Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Coming soon, the all-new Sportage. For more, log on to kia.com. 0818 715 815 Hello, good afternoon and you are very welcome to Liveline. Well, I am looking at a picture, a photograph right now, of a builder's bum. There's no other way to describe it. Uh, this is an ad from uh, tradesman.ie. That's a, a an online um, service where you can get f- quotes if you want to have a, a tradesman uh, do a job for you. Um, and as I say, it's a picture of a rear end of, I suppose, uh, a figure that's alleged to be a tradesman. And the uh, tagline on this ad, which was tweeted again this morning, is, thankfully, his quote was also low. Peter Finn, good afternoon to you. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Peter, uh, people, of course, will know Peter from uh, that absolutely brilliant programme, Home Rescue with Roisin Murphy. Um, Peter, what do you make of this? <laughs> well, the first thing I'd like to say is it's definitely not my backside that you're looking at there. Um, although I, we I have, have seen put a bit a of your backside, Peter, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know. In all seriousness, it's a it's a bit of PR going crazy there. I think. Um, like, there's a lot of things wrong with the photograph, apart from the the, the view of the whole of the moon. Let's say um, <laughs> there's uh, the, the, the 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 trades man, or if that's what he is uh, in the picture, is wearing a pair of jeans, which is very very. Uh, uh, unlike tradespeople these days, um, like there's just so much, so much work wear out there that is is uh, is what people wear on building sites. Put it this way: if a guy arrived to, to one of my building sites dressed like that, I'd uh, I'd be having a, a second guess and, and, and ask him, really, is he here to do a bit of work or, or, or was he here to do at all? You know? Really? I, I, just, I wouldn't have thought that. Now with jeans, I thought I'm sure if a tradesman turned up in jeans, uh, are you saying that's 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 going out now? Yeah, it was not no doubt about Look, you know, trades uh, people come in all shapes and sizes. Um, the, the other thing in that photograph is as well, he has a few tools in his back pocket, which uh, he has a wire brush there. And I think if he sits down for his lunch, he'd, he might have an uncomfortable lunch because it's, uh, <laughs> it's positioned in a very, very peculiar place. Um, look, the, 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 the health and safety standards have gone, you know, up so many different levels in, in, in Ireland and across the, the globe. But, uh, you know, along with his tools and uh, workwear has has gone, you know, really up the scales as well. So there's so many different brands out there, some very good Irish brands. And then a lot, a lot of the big hitters, like I wear Heli Hansen gear, and then like there's, there's it's exceptionally good stuff. It's basically a cross between um, mountain walking gear and and uh, trades work as well. It's got lots of different pockets in the right places that you can put tools in um, and very comfortable to wear as well. And they've got other safety features in them. So, you know, today, today an age of, of a guy uh, turning up in jeans is gone. Not, not fully gone, but it's definitely on the way out and um, I think that, that photograph doesn't represent us too well at all you know Yeah do you think I mean obviously the idea was that it was something that would catch your eye you know uh, <laughs> and I think we all we're all or familiar with the, with the concept <laughs> of the builder's bum uh, yeah. but uh, um, but it, it, it do you think there's anything wrong with it really? 
Uh, look, it's it's somebody trying to do a bit of PR of it. Like uh, some of their other stuff, you've got you know really really clean hunky builders there, uh, you know with their with their screw guns doing different things as well. So you know there's lots of different options there that they've used for their marketing. But I think that one was definitely one of those ones to try and catch your eye and maybe be something a little bit outspoken or or get people like us to talk about it on the radio. So maybe they've actually succeeded in what they're going to do. But it certainly isn't uh, something that I would be liking to represent my company or, or anything that I do. I think uh, the, the day and age of that type of thing is gone. I think. The stereotypical uh, builder who you know has his breakfast roll and goes around unhealthy is kind of gone. And um, there's a, a lot of very fit and healthy men on sites. And <laughs> they uh, they wouldn't like to think of themselves uh, to to be represented by that photograph anyway. You know. Do you think that? Do you think? Do you think it actually might? You know that there are tradesmen out there that might actually take genuine umbrage at this image representing look- them. If you're going to work on the building site, you have to have a thick skin because, you know yourself, there's a lot of banter happens on, on building sites. I'd say, I'd say lads are probably getting a bit more crack out of it than, than taking umbrage to it. But you never know. You never know in this, in this sensitive world that we live in these days. But, um, and oh, look, I, I, I really do think that uh, there's, there's just so much positive stuff going on in construction these days. And, like, you know, we're all much more aware of our mental health and also, also our, our own physical health as well. And I think, again, that photograph isn't really representing somebody that's in a very good physical condition to come in and do a bit of work on your home but um look it is what it is it's 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 a bit of, it's a bit of crack but uh i i certainly it's it's like the the ad on the telly where the the cowboy turns up to do the to do the uh the bit of electrical work and oh, yeah. he, you know the lady the lady sends him away i think i think that's that's what that photograph is is predicting more than uh more than you know a, a tradesman is going to come in and do a good job yeah yeah do you think it reinforces that idea of rogue traders yeah, it does a little bit. It's kind of it reminds me. Of, did you ever see the, the film The Money Pit years ago, where all the, the Hell's Angels turned up to do the the, the work on, on the house that time, and the house started falling apart, and they finally got it back together again. It looks a bit like that, but um, and oh, look, as I said, like we're taking serious steps forward in construction, and I think uh, the old stereotypical stuff should be kind of left behind a little bit because we do we do we do a lot of real positive stuff happening. Um, in terms of we're taking great advances forward in in terms of the quality of work that can be done, and you know the the road builders aren't out there as much as they used to be. There is still a few of them um, but uh, most most guys are out there they're, they've got good uh, skills and, and they're, they're good uh, business people as well so I think that's the way we should be really getting represented rather than the old builder's bum sticking out the back of a pair of jeans you know Is there women at this as well because I see this company is actually called tradesman.ie but Yeah um, well the technical term should be tradesperson, or you know, that's that's the way. That's you have to be very careful these days. And tradesperson uh, is the, the proper term. And I can tell you now, women are really, really coming strong into construction these days, and it's great to see it. You've got so many uh, people on a professional level uh, that are, are women are in, in you know top jobs in, in architecture and engineering, and then trades as well. It's some fantastic. Uh, one of the the best painters that I know is is a, is a lady. So like you know, women are certainly coming into the trades, and also the the day and age of, of, of having to lift like ridiculously heavy weights and stuff like that as well it's kind of getting reduced as well so it makes the job more accessible for, for, for women to do those jobs without you know having uh, to, to lift heavy weights and that type of stuff as well there's some fantastic makers uh, on, on Instagram as you go on and you can see some of the stuff that uh, that the ladies are doing there as well so like, I, I re- like we've got a serious shortage of, of uh, trade people out there and you know I would really encourage um, ladies to get involved and I've also encouraged young people to get involved in construction and go and get a trade because it's one of those businesses that you can get going uh, fairly quickly in. You don't have to go to college for four years. You go to college but you're also getting paid while you're doing it. So it's a very unique 
opportunity for people to get uh, to get money while they're being trained. And then, you know, look, so much uh, demand for construction at the moment. There was real shortage of, of trade people. So, yeah. you know, put your workwear on. And, and, and come to a construction site. <laughs> but I, I mean, I suppose anyone who watches Home Rescue uh, will be familiar with the banter, the bants between yeah, yourself and yeah. Roisin. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I just wonder how warm a welcome would a woman get on a, on a building site even now, even today? Because, you know, it was, oh, a, it was a men only kind of preserve for so long. Yeah, it was. And look, again, that's what I'm trying to say here. I think a lot of those barriers have been broken down. Um, you know, as I said, the health and safety aspect of things has gone up a lot of different levels and that chauvinism and that type of stuff that was going on in building sites, that, that's, that's you know, uh, a dying thing. And thankfully, that, that is the way it's going. Believe me, if, you know, if you're able to come onto a building site or able to go into someone's house and, and do a good job, you know, people won't care, you know, what your gender is or, you know, where you're from. Once you do a good job and, and uh, you, you, you do it in an honest way, that's all the people want these days. And it's very, very hard to get trades people at the moment so again I really would encourage people I'm actually going to be taking on uh, a young girl for uh, a bit of work experience um, in the middle of January she's actually approached me and asked so like you know that type of stuff is happening she's an interest in carpentry but there's loads of people out there that have lots of different skills that they can can, can uh, bring to the table and I'd, I'd absolutely encourage uh, females and, and all, all young people to, to start considering construction for a, for a way of life you know Yeah good to hear good to hear Peter will you hang on there because I have Oliver Dempsey on another line. Oliver, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Katie. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. I'm a big fan of yourself there and Joe and, and, and Peter there on Home Rescue. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be here today. With you. Uh, well, let's just explain to people that who you are. You're the owner and managing director of tradesman.ie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So who, now, I, I, who came up with this ad? Oliver. Would you believe, would you believe, I, I, yesterday my father rang me and he says, uh, he says, uh, I was listening to the advertisements for the Joe Duffy show and he says, uh, there's, a, there's a tradesman uh, website and of course we're, we're tradesmen.ie, that's M-E-N.ie. So I said to him, I said, ah, no, that's not us. I said, that's, that must be somebody else. And, no, he said, I think it's you. And I said, no. So anyway, your, your researcher rang me there before dinner and he says, uh, I'm ringing you about the, the ad. And I said, oh, yeah, my father was telling me about that. Uh, that's not us. That's, that's somebody else. And, no, no, he says, uh, let, let me check. Uh, no, that's you. That's you. Right, so I'll, I'll have a look here. So so I, I looked at it and uh, it was on Twitter. Now, we... <laughs> We we there's a uh, there's a long story behind it I suppose but a number of years ago we won a a, a prize uh, for a, a competition and we won a certain amount of uh, funding for um, agency work for advertising and marketing and stuff like that and uh, uh, we had a we, we had a, an advertising agency with a newspaper and with the graphic designers and different people came together and they said right we'll we come up with something for you and they came up with this. Uh, and uh, they well they came up with a few concepts and um, anyway this was one of them it wasn't my favourite but um, anyway uh, in in the end they all said to me this was the one to go for who's so, they all who's they all now Oliver who are we blaming <laughs> so I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm blaming the experts that were advertising or that were uh, <laughs> Who do do we know whose bum we're looking at here? No, no, that's a good that's a good question. I don't I I maybe they uh, maybe did they 
They did tell me at the time who it was. It, it, it might have been <laughs> someone in, in their office, maybe. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure he's gone on and done a, a lot of other modelling <laughs> in his career from, from look at that picture. <laughs> but but uh, I, I, I agree with the speaker. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the proper work clothes <laughs> in this day and age would be would be better now at this stage. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and are you, are you a, were you a tradesman yourself? I mean, this is obviously a company for, for uh, getting quotes from, from other tradesmen, but... Yeah. Are you? Is this your own background, Oliver? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm actually from a farming background myself, so uh, I, I, I would have been used to wearing uh, good work trousers. <laughs> I was going to say that's a that's a, an area where you need you understand the the need for decent workwear. Uh, but uh, so you you're not a tradesman yourself, then? No, no. So um, I um, uh, I suppose um, I had a, a, a web and software uh, development business uh, a number of years ago and we developed software for auctioneers and real estate agents and websites, different things like that. And when the downturn came in 2008, I had a number of people employed uh, and, uh, you know, it was a real... The whole thing just crashed and I was left in a position where I was uh, wondering how I was going to pay my employees. So I um, I had to quickly try and think of something and this is what I came up with. And uh, we put it together and thankfully it was a success. And, you know, we've been going from strength to strength ever since. Um, so, you know, we've been lucky, I suppose, Um and and how does it work? So so some if if I want to get um, I don't know uh, a job done in the cistern uh, in in the bathroom at home, I need a plumber and I don't have a plumber. So I go on to your website. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is to try and take the hassle out of maybe going on to business directories and ringing a number of tradesmen. So the idea with this is that you post up your job and only the tradesmen that are available and interested in doing the work will contact you. So the idea is that it takes some of the hassle out of it for you. Yeah. It's not ringing alone. They're ringing you instead of you ringing them. Friend. So And come here, Oliver. Are, are they all men? Because as, as Peter was telling us there that... Uh the, the industry is changing now and that uh, yeah. maybe tradesmen.ie mightn't be the most appropriate. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. And, uh, you know, we have some uh, women uh, um, on the website and, uh, you know, I'd love to have more women on the website. W- women are, you know, make excellent service providers. I think, I think it's something that's worth pushing there, Oliver, because... Uh, yeah. I think uh, the, the day and age of, of men dominating the, the industry is it's still yeah. there at the moment but I think it is going to be changing soon because well, you know there's I, just no doubt that there's so many good female well, trades people out there you know I would love to see that and uh, women I, I think are you know I, I don't want to be generalising or anything but women are maybe more respectful for you know maybe better on the hygiene end and cleanliness and neatness and things like that again I don't want to be generalising but uh, you know they might bring other uh, benefits that uh, you know to the whole thing and yeah I definitely think it would are, are you saying some of your tradesmen are unhygienic <laughs> Oliver <laughs> actually Oliver how, how do you how do you I mean how can you stand over all the, the, the tradesmen uh, that advertise and women indeed that advertise on your site like if, if I'm you know, calling up somebody from your site. Do do I have any comeback? Like, are they vetted, or how do you know, or how do I know that they're they're uh, you know 
So got to do a good job. Yeah, yeah so uh, like we, you know, I suppose when we, uh, down through the years, we've been increasing, we, we, we do uh, uh, screening on people that join the website. So let's say if someone joins the website tomorrow, uh, they'll be asked for certain information like their uh, photo ID and copy of insurance and things like that. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we do, it's in our interest that the tradesmen that are using the website are reputable and those don't cause any problems for uh, customers. So we don't want to have customers being unhappy with the tradesmen. So we try and do everything that we can to make sure that the tradesmen are reputable and above board and have references from previous customers and things like that. And, you know, I have to say, it's it's actually not terribly easy to even get onto the website um, because of the screening process that we've in place. Not, not every tradesman that uh, applies to join the website will be able to join if he doesn't tick all the boxes. Now, having said that, you know, it is important uh, to emphasise that Customers have to do their own due diligence as well. They have to make sure to have, you know, a proper contract in place. They uh, have to make sure we say, we, we, we always say to customers, don't pay money up front, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if it's work that needs to be certified, it should be certified by an engineer or an architect, for example. So, you know, there's certain things like that the customer has to take responsibility for as well. But we try and do everything that we can to try and make it safe from our end. Now, I applied to the uh, Garda Vetting Office there uh, a couple of years ago to see would there be any way of getting all our tradesmen Garda vetted. And I thought that would be a really good way of, of making the service even better. But unfortunately, we were turned down because we were told that uh, our users, that the people posting jobs on the website are not vulnerable users and and that's a, yeah, that's a basis for that. But listen, c- coming back, coming back to our picture of the builder's bum. Yes. You, <laughs> do you do you still now after listening to Peter there? Do you, uh, and maybe some of your your the people who might be advertising with you are are potentially yes. customers of the people uh, that that you have advertising with you. Yes. Do you think it's a good image to keep up there to put out there? Well, you know, uh, as I say, um, it, it's like we've loads of different uh, sort of little things that we put up there on Twitter, and uh, we have uh, surveys every week on prices. Uh, surveys that we do with our tradesmen to talk about, you know, see what's the prices of different trades, like plumbers and electricians and all like that, and what sort of prices they're charging for certain jobs. And okay, we do. Okay, you're getting a good ad in there now, Oliver. I'm saying about this <laughs> particular one. <laughs> but this particular one, as I say. It's not my. It's not my favourite. Um, I. I. Uh, Would you, you think know, of dropping it? Uh, look, if if, uh, if 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 enough people ask us to drop it, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, we, we'll we'll drop it. All right. Uh, I was thinking as well that um, um, you know maybe a more appropriate one these days we'd have a picture of someone with her face mask down around her chin and. <laughs> I think you have a New Year's resolution there, Oliver, to improve the PR a little bit, maybe uh, maybe what? represent the, the industry a little bit better and get a few women on there as well. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks very much, Peter. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. No, I agree. <laughs> Oliver, thanks, thanks for coming on to us. Peter, many, many thanks. Lovely to talk to you. We'll take a break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. 
Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And I want to go now to Antoinette Nash. Antoinette, good afternoon to you. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. Listen, Antoinette, I know there's a backstory to what the story you're about to tell me now, and we'll get to that uh, shortly. But just for our listeners now, take us back to the 27th of December and describe to us what happened. Oh, God, we live in this again. Um, I was just after dropping home my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson uh, back into his parents' house in town. It was about maybe quarter to ten in the morning. And my 17-year-old son was with me because I had to do a little bit of grocery shopping, so we went to do Tesco's. We said we'd come home by about an easy to get a breakfast roll. And um, I was just coming up then before there's um, an Ishka warehouse <clears throat> and I could smell terrible burn in the car. And then all this black billowing smoke came out of the bonnet and a little bit of a fire started. So thinking back now, where I pulled in was ridiculous and stupid at the, the petrol stations, but I did because oh, I got a fright. And <laughs> And um, you had so just just you have a car with smoke bellowing out of from under the bonnet and there's a smell of burning and yes. you head for a petrol station. Yeah, right. I know you panicked, yeah. obviously, did you? Yeah, I, I, of course I did. Of course I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, my son got out of the passenger side. He's 17 and I don't know where he ran. I ran into the shop, no mask or nothing on, and there was um, two young people and the staff were absolutely amazing. And I was looking for a bucket of water, and I think it was the young fella said that you actually can't put water on a fire in an engine. I didn't know. So the flames started getting bigger then. and we couldn't so it was, Sorry, the was, there was actual flames now at this stage? Small ones, yes. And where's your, your little grandchild then? I had him dropped home, thank God. Oh God, okay, he's gone now. So it's yourself and the 17-year-old, your 17-year-old, yes, yes, right? Yes, Okay. Thank God. So, and I mean, like, we were all guilty of leaving a child in the car to run into a shop. It could have been worse. But, um, yeah, we couldn't go out the front door then because the smoke was so bad and the flames were getting worse. So we had to go out a side door. And, um... And, and sorry, is the, is the car near the petrol pumps at this stage? Yes, yes. In between the petrol pumps and the entrance to the shop. Oh my God, okay, okay. I know, I know. Um, and thanks to the guards, I can only remember two passerbys. One gentleman was on a motorbike and I can only remember the other gentleman was wearing a red jacket and they pushed the car away from the petrol pumps, just up a little bit further. And then the car blew. Blew, blew up? Blew up, yeah. And flames and sparks and just like fireworks. I'll never forget us. And and these were just two strangers passing by that that put themselves in harm's way, really. Yes, yes, yes. Only for them, um, the the whole forecourt and God only knows what else would have went up. I didn't know, but thinking back on it now, like I shouldn't have pulled in there, but I just got such a fright and panicked. I know. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, will understand that, that, you know, you you don't think straight when you're driving no. a vehicle that, that, that is smoking and, and is going on fire. Yes. Um, and nobody was injured? No, we weren't, thank God. Okay. And was there other people around, Antoinette? Uh, there was passerbys and um, people stopped. There was people walking themselves and walking dogs and people with um, pushing buggies. But there was um, actually a checkpoint at the the golf club just passed up the, the Balanese and um, petrol station and the, the, those guards came down 
and the two members of staff then had rang the fire brigade and the local Garda from Balnese came on. And um, I don't know how long they were there because the local Garda told my friend to take me home. Right. Because you must have yeah. been in, in, in shock, really, were you? An awful shock, yeah. Um, I don't remember ringing my friend. I don't remember ringing my son, who I had, who's the father of my grandson, or my brother. I have no recollection of those phone calls, but I do remember collapsing. And my hip and my, 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 hip and my back is still very sore since, and I had to go to the doctor then as well. Right. But yeah. as we say, thank God, uh, a, a potentially massive calamity was averted yes. by, by those very brave men who stepped yes. in. Yes, and I must get their, their names and thank them personally. Yeah. Okay, now I said at the start of this, uh, Antoinette, that there is a backstory to this. Yes. Um, okay, so talk me through that. You had gotten a letter a number of days previously. That's correct. I received a letter um, from the main dealer of the car that I have, mm-hmm. that was in higher purchase, saying that there was a recall on us for the cooling system. Right. Yeah. Um, I have that letter in front of me here, Antoinette. Yeah. So yeah. I'll just say it said, um, dear customer, um, Ford Motor Company Limited constantly monitors production processes and vehicles and service. A number of Kuga, Focus, C-Max, Transit Connect and Fiesta ST vehicles have been produced, which if driven without sufficient coolant may result in the engine cylinder heating head, the engine cylinder head overheating. The overheating may cause the cylinder head to crack, allowing oil to leak onto a hot surface and that could result in a potential fire risk in the engine compartment. Yes. Okay, so you were warned. When When did you get that letter? I received it on Christmas Eve. Right, so this was three days before this fire happened. Yes. And, and it says, what with, there's a, a, a thing here, what you should do now in the letter. And it tells you to telephone any Ford authorised dealer who will arrange for this important work to be carried out. Uh, this yes. is a recall and, and this thing to be fixed. Um, and it says that um, there'll be no charge and we apologise yes. for any inconvenience. So yes. what, what do you, and, and actually the letter I have in front of me is dated the 25th of November. Exactly, yes. But you say you didn't get that until? Christmas Eve. Right. And what did you do when you got it? I googled um, the the main, a local Ford dealer here in Limerick, which was, I don't know, am I allowed to say the name of the place where I rang? We should carry on, don't, don't, just just tell us, you you, you went, you called a Ford dealer, what did they say to you? Um, They wouldn't be able to do it until the new year because the parts would have to be ordered. Right. And did they say, to give give you any instruction then about, no, you know? No, no, there was nothing about, they never told me not to drive it or anything like that. And just reading that again there now, I'm just saying that, you know, this could result in a potential fire risk in the engine compartment. Were you worried driving it then? I thought I was, but I wasn't doing much driving after Christmas. Right. I was just dropping my grandson home because the kids had no school. I had my shopping done, Christmas shopping done. Wouldn't be going anywhere. Right. But you you weren't, you didn't sit into the car that day thinking, maybe I shouldn't be driving this car now. No, because I thought that if it was, if it was going to, that they would have recalled it beforehand. And they would have done it sooner than in, as in the new year. Yeah, like you didn't think that there, there was a sense of urgency. No. 
I didn't think what happened would have actually have happened in the space of a couple of days. Right. Um, I'm just looking at a picture of. Uh, oh, yeah, I've just been handed a picture of the car, the the car yeah. burnt out car. Oh my God, Antoinette, it is horrific. Actually, yeah. shocking. Yeah, I buy grocery shopping, my wallet, bank card, driver's license, carer's card for my son, medical cards, my last few pound, everything gone. And also, like it's not like this. Uh, service station that you pulled into it's this there's houses all around it like it's not it's not in an isolated area so no it is there's um, a huge massive housing estate um, to the left of us near the golf club like in hindsight in hindsight Antoinette do you think you should have driven that car once you'd had that letter probably not yeah yeah probably not um, it's, I, I, I must say, um, it's, uh, <laughs> like if I was told not to drive us in hindsight, as you said, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have, but if I was told specifically do not drive the car, it is a major, major hazard thinking that could actually happen within the next couple of days a week. I would not have driven us. So are you saying that you, you think this letter should have actually included that warning? Yes, Absolutely. If it is, I wouldn't have driven us. Nobody in their right mind would drive a car if if it was um, specified on the letter, do not drive us. Yeah. Should it have been recalled sooner? I don't know. Yeah, I'm just seeing the headline on the letter is urgent action required concerning your vehicle. This is not a circular. Please read immediately. But yeah. as you say, nowhere in the letter does it actually say No, it doesn't. Don't get no. back into the car. And I rang the said um, Ford dealer here in Limerick on that day. And and their response was, we'll, we 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 won't be able to do it for a while. Here. Yeah, yeah. And that was and it. You're you're absolutely clear that nobody told you not to drive nope, that car. No, a hundred percent. I mean, if they did, I wouldn't have driven it. No one would in their right mind, fact. Um, Antoinette, will will you hang on there because I have, um, Mary Burke, uh, who's from the leasing company that you got it yes, from Total Leasing. She's fantastic. Has been absolutely fantastic. Okay, Mary, that's a good that's a good introduction. You've been absolutely <laughs> fantastic, apparently. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, so you've passed on this letter to Antoinette. Am I correct. right in that? That is correct. And why did it? I mean, if the letter came, it's dated the twenty fifth of November. Uh, of the of we didn't get it until the twentieth of December. December, yeah. Oh, really? So you didn't? Yeah. And did you notice at that? Do you realise at that stage there was already whatever? Three weeks no, no, on. no, because I just checked our file here. We log in everything we get from Ford into the file of the person that has the car. And it came here. It was logged in for the 20th of December. We posted it out that day. And that's that, you're absolutely clear about that, that that was the timeline on it for you? Yes, we're absolutely clear. And were, were many other customers affected by this recall? Nobody else, nobody. So it was literally just Antoinette's the car? car right. yeah. Uh, did it not, when you saw this letter, do you get many of these letters in? You know, this kind of a we recall. We do over periods, we get different letters for different recalls. They're not all the same, but we do get quite a number of letters in from board. And would they all have the same tone? Like, would some of them say, don't drive the car? Or, you know, Never. No. They don't say that? No. Basically, but, the letter that Antoinette received is basically 
the wording of most letters from board. But when you see a line in, in a letter like that saying, you know, this could result in a potential fire risk in the engine compartment and explaining how that could happen. And there's only one customer involved. Did it occur to you that maybe you could have picked up the phone and, and, and called her and just, you know, made sure she... No, because... We does everyone open their letters when they arrive? Well, that's the, that's the protocol we use for every customer. Anything that comes in relating to a car is sent out the same day to the customer. Right. Because obviously people work and you can't always get the phone, you can't always get people. I you mean, know, so that's our protocol. We immediately, the day we get it, it goes out the same day. And you never do follow-up calls? But no, because then it's it's up to the customer. Right. It, it just it strikes me that if this, this, this letter must have, the, the original letter that was sent to you from Ford, must yeah. have gotten caught up, I'm presuming now. In, 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 well, that often happens in the post. In, and in the Christmas message, the Christmas post in yeah, particular. Yeah, it often happens that we, we, we've had posts here that's been posted four weeks before we ever get it. I just wonder why are we just, you know, when it's something as potentially, you know, catastrophic as, as what happened yeah. in this case, why no, are we still communicating by letters when, you know, we have emails, know, and, emails and, and we have social media and we have... Yeah. yeah. Have you ever questioned this before? Like, that well, maybe no, because like normally nine times out of ten it's done straight away. I think it's probably because of the Christmas period as well. It, it was caught up in it and then with this COVID, there's lots of places not even open. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a normal circumstance. But you see, what we have to establish what caused the fire yet, because I've been on to them and they have to send out an assessor to say that they agree what caused the fire. There's no, you know, I wouldn't be in a position to say that that did cause the fire. No, of course, we haven't. There's and, been and an I, investigation, so we, we, we can't we say that. But, uh, you for know. an assessor's report to see what actually caused the fire. Yes. I, I know it could be that, but we can't establish, I wouldn't be in a position to say it was, or anyone else wouldn't. No, of course, because as you say, none, and, of, us, uh, none, of, us, none of us uh, have looked at that None of us know ourselves. what happened, and uh, it, it did go on fire, and basically the letter was there, but as I said, they're sending out a fire expert, and we have to wait for their uh, call back. But, you must but have all got in all, like, yeah. it, 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 it should be, the board should have a better system. Do you think so? Yeah, I was, I was well, going to ask I, I you mean, that. Well, I mean, who posts letters anymore? Everybody, I scan everything and I, you know, I, I, like we scan everything ourselves and like we get very little post as such, only road taxes and stuff. But other than that, a lot of stuff can be emailed and I think Ford really needs to change their system. Right. But maybe should you change your system as well then, though? If you scan well, everything, would you not consider emailing it out as well? Well, we don't have everybody's email. You know, a lot of people don't have emails and it's it's like we're in a little country village, like we're not in a big town or anything. And you get a lot of older people, they don't even know how to send an email or receive an email. I you know, know, yeah. But most, not, most of us know how to use a phone though, in fairness. Yeah, we yeah. all know how to use a phone. But as I said to you, a lot of people, they're at work and you don't get them. And, you know, like our system has worked. We've never had a problem. And yet we yet have to establish if that is the problem. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. Grand, yeah. And uh, you, you, do you know Antoinette? Did you know her before this? Oh, I knew Antoinette very well, yeah. Right. She's, she's been dealing with me for a long time. She's a lovely lady. Right. So even, even in those circumstances, you, 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 you thought the letter would be fine? Well, it, we've never had a problem. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, and normally clients like Antoinette are good. They just say, yeah, right. But... As you said, I agree that it should have said on the letter from Ford that it's not safe to drive the car, which they didn't do. Yeah. Um, 
uh, you're looking after Antoinette now in a way with a... Um, I am. Antoinette, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, do you have no issues with Mary? Oh God, no. None whatsoever. She's always been a pleasure to deal with. Never had an issue with her. Um, and she's, she's getting me a car as well um, for next week and she's servicing it and new tyres and the whole lot. Always been fantastic. I can't, I, I couldn't run her like, I couldn't. Yeah. But 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 as you say, and, and as, as I suppose it is important to point out that we're 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 jumping to a, a conclusion yeah, here that hasn't been established yet. In fact, we have to be very careful because you know you, we we have to establish what caused the fire. That's what they said to me. The insurance company have to send out a fire expert, and then at least then we'll know at the moment we're some surmising that this is what caused us. But we have to make sure that that is exactly what happened. Yeah, indeed. And 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 just to go back to those two men who saved. Uh, a, a potentially horrific conflagration that could have happened if it went to, if if it had uh, oh exploded God, closer to those petrol pumps. Uh, yes. we, we you don't know who they are, Antoinette. They they, they were just passers by. I that don't. I don't. Um, I didn't know that it was actually on the limit leader until I received um, a text from my sister-in-law um, last night. I didn't know it was going. It was on the paper or anything like that because I hadn't shared anything regarding it on social media. Um, but I think one of the gentlemen is something Pierce. Right. Well, listen, yeah, if yeah. they're out there, if they're out there, I would love to hear from you. Uh, Pierce, you think Pierce is the first name, is it? The, the surname. The surname. I'll reread the, um, the article again. And just going back there is how good Mary is. Um, I wasn't able to fill in the um, report for the insurance company and Mary was all of that for me yesterday. Mary, you're a saint. <laughs> But well, I tried to be. <laughs> no, she did. She did. She did. Um, there was a lot of tune and phone because, um, as I said, I had to go to the GP. I'm on, I'm on medication due to what happened. So I wasn't able to deal with it. So Mary did all of that to me yesterday. So she's, you know, I can't, I can't fault her in that way. Absolutely. And you're, you're, you're genuinely very grateful. And I can, yes. I, can I can hear it. I can hear it with you, Antoinette. Hang on one minute. I've got, I've got Lynn on the line. Lynn, good afternoon. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Is that, is that Lynn Boylan? It is, yes. Oh, Lynn, no, how really are you? <laughs> my, my dad has just rang me and told me I had to get on your show to tell them about his experience with his car. Well, go on then. What happened with your dad's car? So he was driving home on the motorway in back in July, the end of July, and um, like that smoke started coming from the engine. So he pulled in and got towed home by the breakdown. But uh, when he, you know, he went about it, and it was again, it was the coolant pipe had, had leaked. Mm-hmm. And he was without the car up until a few days before Christmas. And he's still waiting to see, will the makers of the car um, refund them the cost? Even though it is the same issue that your, your first caller was talking about. And sorry, is it um, a Ford car, Lynn? It's a Ford car, yeah, yeah. And has has that make been part of a recall that we that he knows of, or...? Yeah, so, so what had happened was his friend, the retired mechanic, went and had a look at it and said, yeah, the coolant pipe is frayed. And Ben went home and he rang me and he said, you know what? He said, I've seen that that makes car is actually part of a recall. So I was then dispatched to contact Ford and tell, ask them about the car. And the fact my dad's car was an import from, from England. Uh-huh. So they had recalled them in England, but they hadn't, as far as we were aware, recalled them in Ireland. But it was the exact same problem and the exact same model of car. So I've been toing and froing with Ford now since the end of July, 
uh, trying to resolve the situation for him. Right. But, uh, God, I must say he must have his heart crossways now having listened to Antoinette's story there. Yeah, no, and that's it. I mean, you're on a motor and wow. you see smoke coming out of your car. It's pretty frightening. But, uh, but I think he's more frustrated now by the fact that he was without a car for, for so long and he's still not even sure, even though he's paid over 3000 in repairs, whether he's actually going to get any of that back. And um, he, he paid for that repair and is he still driving that car now or has he stopped? No, so he, he's paid for the repair. It's, it's pretty much a whole new engine had to go into it um, and he, like, he, we went up and collected the car the week before Christmas. But Ford had told us they wouldn't actually even consider paying until we got the repairs done. Right, so now you're at that you know, point. Real, yeah, so it's a real gamble then when you, you know, you're sort of going, well, he hadn't got the car long before this happened. But uh, whether or not to get it fixed, because you're talking about thousands to get it fixed. But, so but we're still waiting to hear back now whether they will cover any of the costs. Right, OK. Well, Lynn, would you keep us posted on that one. Uh, it's, we will. Uh, it's, um, he keeps the pressure on me anyway to keep the pressure on them. So there well, you go. <laughs> well, he's got he's got a TD on his case. Or <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet. But or he's, sorry, he's a senator on his case, Lynn, I should he say. He has somebody who can, who can write strongly worded letters every so often. So there you go. <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, Lynn, uh, many thanks for that. Antoinette, thanks for telling us your story today. And I hope uh, it's a cautionary tale for many people out there. And Mary, thanks for coming on with us. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Now, I want to go back to a discussion that we uh, began yesterday in relation to the return of Operation Transformation uh, to our screens. Uh, it's, it's back on air, I think, tomorrow. I think it's the, the first day of it. Is it. Or is it this evening? This is the fifth, isn't it? Uh, we had uh, uh, some callers yesterday having uh, a real issue with programmes like Operation Transformation because they focus so much on weight loss targets. Um, and we had Daniel in particular who has recovered from uh, an eating disorder and uh, his issue was that these kind of programmes are triggering for people in his position and many people are in his position out there. Sarah, good afternoon to you. Hi, how are you? Can you hear me okay? I hear you perfectly, Sarah. Thanks very much for for getting in touch. You were listening to Daniel yesterday and you you could see, you know, you identified very much from where he was coming from. Uh, Definitely, yeah. I've uh, struggled with an eating disorder myself. And and your issue was with Operation Transformation for for the same reason? Yeah, basically I... I'm very strongly against Operation Transformation or, or any kind of weight loss programme for the sole reason that they're kind of very, very normalised in this country and they're normalised like a way of life, like especially Operation Transformation is being sold to us as this kind of healthy community endeavour. And while I think that the sense of community in terms of the community walking groups and stuff, I think that's amazing and I think we need that more than ever. I think when you tie that into something like weight loss and then you're presenting it in this kind of moralistic way where somebody is successful and like virtuous if they manage to lose weight in a week and bad um, or like lazy if they don't, I think it's, it's super, super unhealthy. And I think what's worse is that it's primetime television. Children are seeing this. Like I'm 
23. I've grown up seeing this on the telly. I mean, my parents didn't really watch it that much, but I mean, you, you see it. It's in all the supermarkets. Teachers are talking about it in school. And the fact is that we know that diets aren't good for people and we know that they can give people extremely long-lasting complexes and, and issues like mental, physical, social issues. Um, and I just really don't think that Operation Transformation is like... I don't think it should be on the telly anymore, like let alone what um, the man yesterday was saying about not having it on this year because everybody's been through a tough time. I just don't think it should be on the telly at all. I think we could really stand to put some funding more towards creative projects or like new ideas for the television um, because what this show is doing is, is, is compromising people's health and it could affect them for their entire life. So... Okay, yeah. Sarah, tell me a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Um, to take me back yeah. to when the food became an issue for, 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 you, for you. So for me, I always had a very like healthy and normal relationship with food and exercise. Um, and probably towards the end of my teenage years, so when I was maybe 17 or 18, I decided to go on a diet or a bit of a healthy eating kick. Um, I was like I had been told by the doctor that I was obese, um, and so. And when you say obese now, what, what like people have a, images in their head when you use that term? But but medically, what does that mean? Well, obese is a term that comes from the BMI scale, um, and literally just what it means is if you are, if your weight, if your weight and your height correlate in a way like that, you get. A number, I think, above twenty-five on the BMI scale. I'm not actually sure, yeah, but twenty-five is, is supposed to be the healthy it's, ceiling it's of healthy weight. It would be overweight, and then a few points above that, then you go from overweight into obese. So I would have been the very bottom end of obese, and there's such horrible connotations here in the word obese, um, especially like just socially, because maybe it's more taboo to bully people about their weight nowadays. But people will always come back and they'll say, "Well." all right to weigh a bit more I just I'm worried about your health or I'm worried about you being obese or whatever so anyway but I just, it, it, there are medical like there are issues around being obese though health issues are, are was that yeah. was that how it was presented to you at the time well I mean I suppose that was one influence in why I decided to lose weight the number one kind of influence was I just it was coming up to a Christmas party and I wanted to lose a few pounds so yeah, it all, was never really we've all been there, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, and it it was never really meant to be a long term thing. But I think we all know, like, you kind of start losing weight and you get a lot of praise and a lot of positive reinforcement. And so I continued to lose weight and I continued to follow this healthy eating plan, which was basically like, you know, quite pretty similar to what Operation Transformation is, like limiting carbohydrates a good amount, like trying not to squeeze and going for more walks and that kind of stuff. So on the surface, you might kind of think that something like that is very, what's the word, inoffensive and healthy. Mm -hmm. But I think for me and for a lot of people, the trouble is that once you start to lose weight and once people start to praise you for losing weight, then the pressure begins to build for what happens if I put back on weight and will nobody like me anymore? And I think a lot of people can relate to those ideas. And I think it's the reason why people go back and do Operation Transformation every year or they sign back up to Slimming World or whatever. It's it's, it's presented in TV shows like that, that it's a, it's a failing if you return to a weight that you were before. 
um, or that you're like less of a person. So anyway, I, I continued to diet. But the thing is, like, it was very not good for me. And eventually, like, it, it became increasingly restrictive, which I think is the case with a lot of people. Um, and I continued to lose weight for, I'd say, about three years um, to a point where, like, I just did not look good and, like, it was very obvious that it was an issue. Um, and then I got treatment for it last year and I started recovering and I'm fully recovered now, I would say, which is a blessing, like, it's opened my life up so much. But um, it was a very, very dark time in my life very difficult time and I also know that some people are not as lucky as me some people don't get seen to have an issue or they don't get the help that they need and they never like get to have that second chance like enjoying life and engaging in life Um, and I think that healthy practices like I think we need to recontextualize what we mean by healthy in this country health is not a weight and health is not being virtuous and you know, eating less fat, eating less sugar, health is, is across all spectrums. So, like, health is in relation to our emotional well-being and our social well-being, and it's very difficult to be present in your life if you can't join in and do the same thing that everybody else is doing and kind of be spontaneous. And I think that that's where these kind of systems become problematic because, yes, maybe you lose weight for the... I don't know what is it, like eight weeks that Operation Transformation is gone, but what happens when you just want to go back to living your life again? Like, are you unhealthy or, yeah. Do you think the world has moved on, you know, in terms of, in a positive way, I mean now, in terms of attitude towards the diet industry and dieting generally and weight generally, uh, like then that maybe, you know, RT might be out of touch in relation to this? I definitely think they're out of touch. I think that, that it's, so fantastic I think that big strides are being made like we're talking more about it and we're acknowledging that like we all come in all different shapes and sizes so I think that that's fantastic Um, and yeah I would agree like Operation Transformation is outdated I don't think it should have been on the television in the first place you can see why it was like there's all these shows The Biggest Loser and stuff in the States and you know it's and it's it's catchy like it's it's engaging. It's an entertainment show at the end of it. Like, it's kind of marketed as being this kind of public health initiative. But the thing is, it's not a public health initiative. It's but being then, run by a privately owned business to make money. And they do make money. We we spoke to Andrew um, yesterday, uh, who was one of the leaders last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he says he found it incredibly positive and that it has stayed with him. And, you know, that the, the, the whole... The, the, the scenes out of it that people were, you know, make some people uncomfortable, he felt, you know, pushed him on and he found that, that it was a very supportive environment. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely fantastic for Andrew um, because I think that that sense of community and positive reinforcement is so amazing for anyone. The only thing I'm saying is that the health benefits that you get from engaging in more physical exercise or trying to be more mindful about what you're eating and you know stuff like that I think that's like that's undeniable like I love healthy food I love yoga and walking and you know I'm I I love all of that and I get a lot out of community involvement but I do think that that's anecdotal evidence like not like that's definitely his experience but also I'm 
Um, I've been following along um, an account on Instagram, Intuitive Eating Ireland, are doing a push at the moment because they also disagree with the kind of things that are being touted by Operation Transformation. And the reports I've seen on there are very upsetting. Like lots and lots of people have had experiences where they literally grew up watching this and it had an incredibly negative effect on their self-esteem. And I just think that I think that the conversation needs to be had and I think that it needs to be given a fair voice because, yeah, like, for what the show is, I'm sure it has had a positive effect for for lots of people, but also it's had a negative effect and I wonder what kind of message is it sending to put this show on Irish television on, like, primetime TV and say, look, this is the most important thing in our viewing schedule this is the most important thing, is weight loss. Weight loss is not a possibility for a lot... Like, it's a possibility, but studies have shown that long-term weight loss is not a common occurrence unless somebody's sticking rigidly to a plan, which would indicate, like, if diets worked and if, like, quote-unquote lifestyle changes worked to completely overhaul and change the way that you're eating, then why would we have to keep doing them? Why would we have to keep coming up with new ones? And and maybe the negative health impacts of a show like that or changing your diet like that outweigh the positive ones. Um, so yeah, I know. So yeah, I just sorry. I just want to know. I, I'm just going to give you some backup here because we have a statement that has come in from Bodywise. That's the Eating Disorders mm-hmm. Association of Ireland. They say that they've received a great deal of correspondence and concerns, which we share regarding, mm-hmm. this is we, body-wise, we share, regarding the programme Operation Transformation set to return on January 5th. Um, this is a statement. Many of our service users have highlighted that the show has been and continues to be triggering for them, causes them distress and impacts negatively on their mental health. This is in particular for those who have to live who have or live with a person with an eating disorder or those experiencing disordered eating. Although the show has a positive objective intending to bring focus to health and well-being, the considerable emphasis on dieting, body weight and shape and the way that these are measured, collectively counted and presented, create a community-sanctioned dieting culture that research shows does little to achieve long-lasting weight loss or health promotion. That's pretty much what you're saying in a, in a nugget there, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, and they're they're an amazing organisation. Yeah, and I a hundred percent agree. That just the final line here, they're saying that there there's more in this about the number of people that have been admitted to hospital. There's um, the number uh, of people admitted to hospital eating disorders has risen by sixty eight sixty six percent and by thirty two percent among amongst adults. Um, and these increases are reflected across community and uh, specialist and inpatient services. Um, And then it says here, there is a growing body of research evidence which supports health promotion in ways that do not rely on shaming or measuring slash counting as a tool for motivation. Were Operation Transformation really to live up to its name, it could promote health and well-being in a new format in a way that is inclusive and diverse. We believe, we feel it is important that the media remains as a neutral place in terms of body image messaging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there isn't much more we can say on that one. Uh, Sarah, many thanks. Uh, You were very, very articulate and for sharing your own story, which I'm sure is is uh, is never easy, but I think, you know, can make a big impact on a lot of people. Um, We'll take a break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. 
Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And now for something uh, completely different, as they say, uh, I want to go to Mary Visigi. Mary, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well. I'm loving your surname. Where's that from? Um, from Iran. My husband is Iranian. OK. This is not part of the story. No. <laughs> the story is a shaggy dog story. Uh, t- tell me your story. You, you travelled back to Dublin airport on Christmas Eve with a dog. With my daughter and her dog. Uh, my daughter had flown in for Christmas and uh, had been booked on her flight with Air France. She arrived safely. We were all happy. And then we were. she was supposed to go back earlier this week. We brought a flight forward. And the reason I'm saying that is because this dog then had confirmation of his return flight to Paris twice with Air France. But when we got to the airport at the check-in desk, we were told the dog could not board. And two check-in desk, desks further up, we saw another family with a dog and they were having discussions also, and we discovered that both dogs hadn't been accepted on their pre-booked flights. And so now I am back in Cork with two dogs. And I, you have, sorry, I, you have your own dog and, and this no, other dog? No, I have their dog and my daughter's dog, yep. Okay, I... <laughs> How you ended up going home with a stranger's dog is we okay, just we'll go back to the story. So what were they saying to you when you, you, you arrived? You said you know, you, you the dog flew in through this with this airline. What 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 were they saying at the desk? They said that they couldn't fly the dog out, that uh, there was a policy in the airport that the dogs could fly in and could not fly out. And that was all we were told. Yeah. And and is that is this an issue with the airline or with the airport or what? Do you know any more about it? Um, we have failed to manage to speak to people with Air France. So my Googling around and uh, research since Saturday has shown that, yes, there is an, a policy in Dublin Airport due to their new baggage handling system that they don't fly dogs out in the hold as they previously did. Um, but and that apparently all airlines were informed of this. Um, but uh, Air France, for some reason, booked us through both ways and we were never informed of anything about not being able to fly the dog back. And as I said, his flight was confirmed twice. Yeah, and this was the same situation with the other family and their dog. And you've obviously made friends with the other family then, did you? Well, yes. Well, well, we only had a couple of minutes in Dublin Airport. We've been in contact since but we didn't know them at all um, and they didn't know us. Um, but it was a split-second decision. The decision was this man was going to have to stay in Dublin Airport with the dog and let his family go back to Paris. And I just stepped in and I said, look, I'm minding one dog. I might as well mind two and let's find a solution. But the problem is that we can't find a suitable solution. Boats are booked. Um, airlines won't fly them out of Dublin. If they go through Cork, somebody has to fly with them. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it's very complicated and we can't have a solution at the moment. So I still have the dogs and I still don't have a solution. One of the solutions could be that one of the, the owner was going to fly back and then try and take her dog back on the boat. The boat this weekend has been cancelled. So this saga is just going on and on. But I suppose it goes further than that insofar as that um, this should have been picked up by Air France. They should never have booked us on the flight in the first place. But it's impossible now to find a solution to get them out. And I suppose Dublin Airport must have some role in it because if they have airlines who are doing this, they should know about it. Well, they do now. But 
you know, they're not giving us any satisfaction either. So, um, and yeah. I'm just wondering, like, I mean, it's coincidence that you were both checking in at the exact same time and you saw this other family that was in the same position. But presumably they can't be the only dogs that have been stranded on this side. We're of not. <laughs> we're not. And that's what I told one of your researchers is that we then started to look for transporting the dogs back. And we were quoted from pet transport companies in the region of €1,500 one way for each dog. Um but when I spoke to one of the companies, he said, we have had 50, five zero calls about this um, in the last couple of days. So we know we're not alone. And that's why I rang you, because um, we know that there were two dogs on one flight who couldn't go back to Paris. But there must have been many, many more over the Christmas period. God, this must be causing huge upset. You know, we all know how, you know, being separated from your 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 dog is like a member of leaving a member of your family behind uh, for many people. How, how are you getting on with your this this stranger dog that, that well, you the brought home? Well, the poor dog, he didn't know me at all. Well, it's, it's a she. She didn't know me at all because while... Um, the dog was with one of its owner. I was scuttling around the airport looking to try and find a dog bag or see if we could get the dog. And I was on the phone and so was the, the um, I don't want to say the father, the, the male owner of the dog was also trying to solve the problem. So I wasn't in contact with the dog until the last minute when I just walked it out of the airport on its leave. Um, so the poor dog was totally lost. Their children were totally lost and upset. My daughter, I saw her off at the airport in tears. Everybody was upset. The dogs were upset. We're upset. Um, it's. It, I know there's an awful lot happening at the moment, and people might say, "Why is you know why are you upset about the dog?" But it is upsetting for a family whose dog they leave with a total stranger in an airport. Um, and it was very upsetting for my daughter, and it is upsetting for the dogs, both of them. Yeah. They didn't know each other either, and they had to adapt and take another three-hour journey back down to Cork in the boot in the in the back of a car. So it's not satisfactory at all. No, I mean, and as you say, there's two there's, there's two uh, questions here. One is, why would you fly a dog into a country if that dog has no route out of it back on the plane? You yeah. know, if the airport that you're flying into doesn't allow dogs to be boarded. And then what has the... Is the do you understand this change in, in Dublin airport baggage handling it's a recent thing, is it? It is in the last six months, and in my in my searching around, I think that your program might actually have covered this a few months ago. Which me, this had happened six months ago, and there was somebody else in the same situation at that time who was emigrating to Canada, apparently, um, where this happened. So I think in the last six months, I doubt if it was just you know New Year's Day that this happened to us. Um, but apparently the, it's something to do with the new belt they have in, in Dublin Airport for carrying the, the bags. But I suppose that to me is another issue because if it, you know, there's, there must be some way of flying a dog out of the main airport in a country. Uh, and other than having it in what they called uh, cargo, um, you know, that, that's not satisfactory in the, in the long term. We need to be able to take our dogs in and out at a reasonable price. Um, from this country. Yeah, I've just actually been handed uh, a statement that was issued to this programme last September uh, in Mm -hmm. relation to this issue. Yes, and as you say, it explains that um, they have this new upgraded uh, baggage system, which involves having a new baggage belt system being built uh, and brought more complexity into the the system and that the bags now travel longer distances with several level changes on the journey. And unfortunately, it says this could not be avoided. 
So, yeah, they're saying that obviously in this in these circumstances, uh, it wouldn't be possible to put a, an animal. It says the decision not to take animals through the new hold baggage screening area was not taken lightly. Um, but unfortunately, that is that is uh, the situation. And finally, it says we regret that the previous system is no longer available for passengers travelling with pets uh, as this decision was taken solely for the welfare of the animal. But as you say, you just don't accept that you can have a situation where you cannot. No, um, and I, I, I really think that it must go one step further. OK, they've got a new baggage belt. I understand it's better screening. It's probably making us all safer from many circles. But they must develop in parallel with that some way of being able to carry dogs um, from uh, where we check in to the aircraft uh, you know, I think it needs another bit of thought because they may think of the animal welfare, but either the animal can't travel at all if it can't be travelled out of the country and, um, you know, for various reasons, people want to keep their animals with them. So I don't see this as being just a problem for us and for today. Uh, and I do think it's a long-term problem that needs to be looked into and solved as well. Absolutely. Okay, Mary, uh, we'll we'll uh, keep we'll stay in touch with you because we we want to know how this one pans out. As you say, if there are dozens of dogs stranded here, particularly after Christmas, um, some uh, solution to that situation will have to be found. Um, that's uh, Mary Vesigi there. Uh, many thanks for that. Talk to Joe on oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And now I want to go to Alan. Alan, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Katie. Thanks for taking the call. Alan, you had a hair-raising experience on New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, not, not quite the New Year I was expecting. Um, yeah, describe to me. You were driving on the M50. So my wife was driving with myself and my three young children were in the, uh, driving home after a lovely afternoon out. Um, and at roughly 5.20 uh, in the afternoon we, we'd come off the M50 by the Red Cow Junction mm-hmm. and we were on the N7 between Junction 1 and 1A um, we were on the basically three lanes and we were on the inside lane That's just there uh, as you go towards Newlands Cross Yeah, so know that. approaching yeah. Newlands Cross so roughly halfway we, we weren't quite at the turn off so you know, the turn now, you have to kind of go left. We were heading towards the Kondokan area, so we were in the the lane preparing to, to come off, but we weren't quite that far up. So we were, my wife was driving along, and next of all, she let out a scream and said, they're going to hit us, and I couldn't, because she was driving, I couldn't see at the back, but all of a sudden, we were rammed from behind. And then, probably, I don't know, time when it froze then, and then we were rammed again by a white van, who subsequently sped off in the distance and just kind of left us there. Um, now, sorry. So, when you say rammed, as in, just this car crashed, rear-ended you basically as you were driving. Yeah, but at high speed, so we we would have been travelling probably seventy or eighty kilometres an hour, and eighty kilometres an hour zone. So we were still on the main section of the road. We hadn't turned off, so we were still travelling at a decent speed. So they would have been easily doing ninety to hundred miles an hour at least, or hundred kilometres an hour, in order to be able to smash into us and smash again. So. Right. They see me fear for our life. It was like something of a horror film is the best way to describe it because, you know, the, whatever about the force bang, when the second smash happened, I didn't know, we, we just couldn't, didn't know what was happening. Okay. I wear glasses and they were they were thrown off so I couldn't even, you know, get a registration for the van. Um, so it just Alan, off. Were, your children, were your children in the back seat of the car at this stage? Yeah, so I had three children in the back. So 
What, what, age, what age are they? So they're 13, 12 and 9. Right, so well old enough to, to understand what was happening to some degree. Um, well, like I say, we'd never been involved even in a, a bump before, so it was a bit surreal experience is the best, best way to describe it. Um, so, you oh. know, we didn't, there was just a lot of screaming from us because we didn't, it was the second impact that, that was the scariest, you know, the fact that it happened again so soon after the force, so. That is, and okay, so so how did you, your wife is behind the steering wheel, how did she respond? Um, thankfully, she, she saw it just a split second before it happened, so she grabbed the steering wheel as hard as she could to try to keep the car straight, because if she had veered into the, the lane beside us, the right lane, the middle lane, like this car speeding along at the high speed there, in terms of, like I say, it's a, it's a fast stretch of road. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't dare think about what happened. So luckily she um, kept the car straight and then obviously pulled up and you know got it to a stop. But we were still, she had a quick think and then because we were still in quite a dangerous area because mm-hmm. we, you know, there's a lot of cars moving at speed. So she had a quick think and to get us out of the car and there's a lay, a kind of a, a lay-by in the lane beside, but there's a path separating us. So we were able to cross the road into a safe space down across on a path. Right, uh, but obviously very shook. Very shaken and, you know, obviously very angry that the driver sped off, you know, for us. He could have left us for them, you know, at that, that speed. Um, and and you, you didn't, there was no interaction as far as you could see between that car and any other car on the road? Not, like I said, my glass were thrown, but it was very, obviously a lot of bright lights, but he sped off. Now, I, th- I think what happened was he, he from my wife's recollection, he overtook us then. He, he must have moved into the middle lane and sped off at high speed, so he was gone on a he, they, they were gone in the flash. Right. Um, and uh, obviously you called the guards? Yeah, I called the guards. Uh, the fire brigades came um, roughly about 10 minutes later and time kind of stood still. Um, I made a number of subsequent calls to the guards who said they were trying to get a unit there but um, I kind of stayed there for about two hours and no unit appeared. Um, so I eventually called them back to say that the insurance had basically come along the boat with the, the guy to escort us home so he drove behind us because the two brake lights were gone mm-hmm. so um, my brother had come over at this stage and was able to get the car back to our house um, with the aid of the AA um, insurance oh. guy And was there much damage done to the car? The, the complete back bumper is destroyed um, but, you know it's, yeah, it's kind of a mess the boat boot was all the way pressed in and the gearbox seems to seems to be an issue with the gears as well and like but I was driving home. He couldn't get into second. He was a struggle to get into second gear. Right. So, uh, uh, but ha- and how were all of you in the car? Um, thankfully, we walked away because you know it was another crash on New Year's Eve that was more fatal. Um, was, was fatal. So we, you know, imagine typical, you know, sore necks, backs, you know, aches and pains. But you know, they seem to. We're, we have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Uh, unfortunately, the timing of the accident meant everywhere was closed kind of till Tuesday so we, we couldn't get a doctor's appointment until tomorrow so we're going to just make sure we get checked out but from what I've heard from other people that have been hit from behind you know they could take okay. symptoms could go up and down so but no broken bones thankfully Okay well look I, I know you were you were hoping that maybe somebody might have had dash cam footage or, or maybe yeah. you were witnesses so to see this just and we're nearly out of time so I'll just ask okay. you Alan to, to remind people where you were and what time it yeah. was and so what day it was. was Junction between Junction 101A heading to Newlands Cross on the N7 at 5.20pm so anybody that has dash cam footage of a white van you know causing the accident or driving off I imagine they would have 
if they go home safely, I don't know how after doing something like that. So we're looking for anybody that has any dash cam to try and um, identify the person that did it. And, you know, they need to be held accountable because we, we don't want that happening to anybody else that it could be fatal. So that's basically what we're appealing for us. Anybody has any information on, on a white van travelling at high speed in that area. OK, and they, and, they, and they can let us know that here, uh, 51551 or joe at rte.ie. Alan, uh, I hope... Uh, I hope you're well. Thanks for thanks for sharing that story with us. And as I say, if anyone uh, has any information on that, they can let us know here. Um, and that's all we have time for today. The f- today's programme was produced by Fergus Sweeney. Research was by Richie Byrne. On sound, we had Liam Mullen and our BCO was Daniel Keating. Stand by now for Ray Darcing. Liveline on RT Radio 1 with the all-new Kia Sportage, built for endless inspiration. The all-new Sportage, now at your local Kia dealer. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.